morning, everyone. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please. And while you are standing, as Pastor Bruce mentioned, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. If you need a pew Bible, there's one in front of you. You can find today's text on page 712. Isaiah chapter 40, we'll be starting in verse 1, and we'll be reading through verse 11. Follow along as I read. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come this morning. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that we can gather in your house on this beautiful day. Father, as, a, as I read the text this morning, I'm just reminded that, that you are everlasting. Lord, that your word will be forever and ever and ever. Father, we look forward to that day when you call us home, when Jesus returns. May that be soon. Be with Pastor Bruce today as he brings your word. Open our hearts, open our eyes, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. As we enter this new year, here it is, 2020. Kind of hard to believe, and yet as we enter this new year of 2020... Perhaps no question is more important, more relevant than this. How big is your God? How big is your God? Several years ago, in fact, over 70 years ago, J.B. Phillips wrote a little book titled, Your God is Too Small. And in many ways, that expression reflects the problem that lays behind the fear of so many people today. Your God is simply too small. In fact, almost all of our spiritual problems, and especially things like doubt and fear, insecurity, come from a view of God that is way too small. This is why A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so my concern as pastor here at LifeBridge and as we enter into this new year is simply this, that our thoughts about God are way too small. 
The God of the Bible is the opposite of small. He is big. He, in fact, he's not just big. He is bigger than big. He is bigger than all the words we use to say big. In fact, God defies even our own abilities to categorize him or to describe him. It's like the British philosopher Evelyn Underhill said, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough then to be worshipped. And so I ask again, is your God too small? Here's the deal. If your God is too small, then the promises of God lose their power in our lives. We may be able to recite all the promises of God by dozens, but in our hearts, God no longer is the king who conquers armies and cuts a valley in the Red Sea. He's no longer the shepherd who seeks his sheep and keeps them safe behind his staff. He's no longer the Lord who walks on water and calls the dead back from the grave. And so slowly and even subtly, we have forgotten at times how big our God is. And he is bigger than all of our problems. Whether your personal problems or whether the problems facing our country and even this world, no trouble is too tangled for our God to untie. No path is too twisted for our God to straighten. No heart is too shattered for our God to gather up and put back together again. No person is too sinful for our God to redeem. And so, yes, your problems may be big this morning. In fact, they may even be bigger than you know. But our God is bigger. And so Isaiah comes to us this morning and he says, Behold your God and fear not in 2020. In fact, notice this coming up on the screen. I encourage you to take notes. You pull out that insert in your bulletin. We have reason to lift up our voices in hope Enjoy in this new year. And here's why. Because our God is the sovereign ruler of the universe who brings comfort in the wilderness and strength for the weary. Listen, the whole point of Isaiah chapter 40 here is simply to stretch our thoughts about our God. This chapter is all about seeing how big our God really is. As Isaiah writes in verse 9, in fact, this is kind of the theme verse of the whole chapter. He says, go up to a high mountain, O Zion. In other words, Zion is, is, is a, it's a terminology for the children of God. Herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Lift it up and fear not. And here's why. Say to the cities of God, behold your God. That's what we need to do in our personal lives and as a church in this new year. We need to behold our God. When God's promises seem powerless to quiet our fears, soothe our grief, lift our worries, motivate our obedience, we need to do more than just hear His promises again. We need to behold the God who gives them to us. Listen, the best thing that can happen to anyone here this morning is not winning the lottery, but seeing God as he really is. 
We need to see the glory of God. We need to see the majesty of God, his greatness. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe, as we will see next Sunday, who brings comfort in the wilderness, as we're going to see today, and who strengthens the weary, as we will see in two weeks. And so as we look down the road of this new year, listen, I don't know what you will face. I don't know what God has in store for you. I don't know what circumstances will come into your life. I don't know necessarily what path you are even walking on now. But here is one thing I do know. At some point in 2020, you will need the comfort of God. And you will need the strength of God. And that's what he brings his people. Notice this in your notes. The unfathomable comfort of God. He comforts his people in the wilderness. And perhaps that's where you are at even now. You feel like you are living in the wilderness. And God wants you to know, through the prophet Isaiah, that he will come and comfort you. Look what God says to Isaiah here in verse 1. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And so God commands that his people be comforted. And God says it how many times? Twice. And he does so for emphasis. And the reason for that is, because back then they couldn't, highlight a word. They couldn't click the mouse and bold it, put it all in caps or whatever. So they would repeat it for emphasis. And that's what Isaiah and God is doing here. And so get this, our comfort, our spiritual well-being lies as a burden on God's heart. What kind of God is our God? Listen, he is a God who is eager for us to find comfort and to find consolation amid the trials in hardships of this life. And notice where God comforts his people. This is not by accident. It is in the wilderness, according to verse 3. And it's in that particular situation that Isaiah now begins to write chapter 40. As Isaiah begins his ministry, the big superpower on the block was Assyria which forms the backdrop for the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah wants God's people to know that God can be trusted. He is trustworthy even when the enemy is on the doorstep such as Assyria. And yet God's people do what? They continually turn away from God and they turn to other nations to save them. And God's response to all this, to his people, was to use those very nations they were putting their trust in to bring judgment on his people. And sure enough, what happens? In 586 B.C., the Babylonian army invaded Jerusalem and took the people of God as exiles back to Babylon. And yet, and yet, God's trustworthiness was so great that Isaiah speaks of a God who, even knowing that his people would forsake him, nevertheless promises in advance to redeem them. And so here, beginning in chapter 40, Isaiah speaks not to his own present day, but he's looking down the road prophetically over a hundred years into the future when Babylon would be the superpower on the block and God's people would now be exiles in the wilderness of Babylon. And as you might imagine, if that was you, listen, this wilderness that they're in, that they're living in, It stirs up within God's people this desperate longing for comfort. 
In fact, the prophet Jeremiah, it's interesting, he gives even his own sense of this longing for comfort when he writes in Lamentations chapter 1, verses 2, 16 and 17. Listen to what he says. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. And maybe you, you, you're like, man, been there, done that. I'm still there doing that. When you go to bed at night, the tears just roll down your cheeks because you are in the wilderness and you are crying and you are desperate for some type of comfort. And among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. For a comforter is far from me. One to revive my spirit. Zion stretches out her hands, but there's none to comfort her. And so that's how the people of God were feeling in the midst of the wilderness. Exiled in this wilderness, God's people are defeated, they're bitter, and they are disillusioned. In fact, they think God has failed them. In fact, we see that here in Isaiah chapter 40. You go to verse 27, and that is their mindset. And that's what we typically do, don't we, when we find ourselves in the wilderness. We blame God for the wilderness we find ourselves in. And for his part, what does God do? Man, this is the unfathomable. This is why it is unfathomable. God comes down to comfort us. And he comes down with a promise to save us or redeem us and to strengthen us to face anything. While we wait on him. Now you think about that word comfort. That is a word everyone here likes. Comfort. In fact, that word takes different shapes for each of us. So let me ask you, where do you find comfort? And by the way, we all have our places in which we seek out comfort. As kids, we found comfort in all sorts of things, didn't we? We found comfort in a blanket, comfort in a parent's hug. We may have found comfort in going to grandma's house and eating her chocolate chip cookies. You name it, as kids, we found comfort. And as adults, we find comfort in different things. We have things like now comfort food, comfy comfy pants, comfy couches. And this afternoon, most of us are going to go home and put on our comfy pants, get out our comfy food, and we're going to sit on our comfy couches and hopefully watch the Chiefs win, right? We understand comfy in that regard. We find comfort in a song. You may find comfort in a pet or a pair of slippers. Maybe you find comfort sitting in a lounge chair on the beach, or for some of you, it's simply sitting in a deer stand in the woods. Whatever it is, that's where you find your comfort. But what is the comfort that God brings to his people in this particular wilderness? Well, let me tell you, it's much better, it's much deeper, and it's much richer than all the comfort we can find on our own. Notice this comfort of God. God's comfort is simply the good news of his saving grace. Look what God tells Isaiah in verse 2. Isaiah says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, we need to understand the context, the immediate context in which God's comfort is coming to God's people. And the immediate context of God's comfort is the sin of God's people. 
for 39 chapters here in Isaiah, he has exposed the wicked corruptions of God's people. And now, at last, God assures them that the exile is ended and full atonement is provided for all their sins. Now, of course, we know from the rest of Scripture that this atonement was provided by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, can you imagine how comforting it must have been to hear such good news as an exile in Babylon? Think about it. God's people deserved what? For their continued rebellion and sin against God. They deserve eternal condemnation, but God gives them exile instead. But Isaiah now sees a time when God will forgive his people and God will restore his people back to the promised land that he promised them long ago. And in all of this, here's what Isaiah wants us to see. Here's the big deal about it. We see that God's ultimate purpose for his people is not destruction. Rather, it is redemption. It is not death. It is life. And this is the good news of God's saving grace to sinners like us. You see, through the prophet Isaiah, listen, God is speaking even a greater comfort to us today through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we, we're no different than God's people back in Isaiah's day. We are sinners just like them. And so the warfare that Isaiah mentions here is bigger than merely just the Babylonian army and the destruction of Jerusalem. Apart from Jesus Christ, listen, we are at war with God Almighty. And we are threatened by a far greater exile in a place called hell. But God doesn't abandon us in the wilderness of our sin. Thank God for that. No, he brings what? He brings the comfort of his saving grace. The good news for us is that when we trust Jesus Christ in the words of Isaiah, our warfare with God is ended and our iniquity, our sin is now pardoned through Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have received from the Lord's hand double for all our sin in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Is there any greater comfort than that? No. Listen, this is the greatest comfort we can ever receive in this lifetime. This is the very heart of God toward everyone who is in Christ, that there is an end to his disciplines, but there is no end to his comfort. God It's as if he is saying to us through the prophet Isaiah, listen, I declare this war over. I declare you forgiven, and I understand how deeply you've suffered, but now I want to speak tenderly to you. Yes, you're in the wilderness now, but I want you to know that your best days are still ahead. That was true for the people in Isaiah's day, God's people, and folks, it is true for us. Our best days are ahead when Jesus returns and the glory of God appears. So how then do we receive this comfort in the wilderness? How do we receive God's comfort where we are living even today? Well, Isaiah tells us how in verses 3 through 11. And it breaks down like this, three simple points. Number one, 
you've got to prepare the way of the Lord. If you want to receive the comfort of God, you need to prepare the way of the Lord. Listen, the wilderness can be a scary place, can't it? In fact, two words are actually used to describe the place where God's people are at. A desert and a wilderness. And it's often a hostile place in the wilderness where you're at the mercy of the weather, you're at the mercy of the wild and even the animals. And God's people, the Israelites, they knew a little bit about the wilderness themselves prior to this. They knew about the wilderness of being slaves in Egypt. And they did that wilderness thing for 400 years. But after God made a way for them to get out of that wilderness of being slaves in Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea in which God had parted for them. And they wandered around in another wilderness for another 40 years due to their grumbling and complaining. And now, many, many years later, in the midst of their continued rebellion, they find themselves yet again in another wilderness, this time as exiles in Babylon. And that's where, in the grace of God, a comfort, a voice cries out. You're like, what does that voice say? Notice it in verses 3 and 5. It says, a voice cries out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places like a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what is God saying here? Well, he's simply telling us through the prophet Isaiah, that the Lord is coming and we need to prepare the way for his coming. But look, don't miss this, where the Lord loves to show up. Where is it? It's in the wilderness. This is literally what happened. Fast forward to when John the Baptist comes on the scene. He went out into the wilderness of Judea. And in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, listen to what it says about John the Baptist. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And here's what he preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because Jesus has come. For this is he who was spoken by, by the prophet Isaiah when he said, and now we're going back to this passage here, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, understand something here. This was not the work of a civil engineer. And here's what I mean by that. John the Baptist didn't literally make highways in the wilderness of Judea. Leveling mountains and raising valleys. No, John fulfilled these words by preaching a message of repentance of sin and then baptizing as a symbol of one's repentance of that sin and even cleansing of it. And so the leveling of mountains that is referred here was done by John the Baptist simply blasting away at the self-righteousness of the Pharisees who felt absolutely no need for a Savior. Why? Because I'm banking on my own self-righteousness. But John's message of repentance is blasting away at that. Also, he's raising the valleys. And that was done by now giving hope to the people, but who are sinners 
who felt no Savior was even possible for them. And yet John's telling them, no, he's come for you. He is the Lamb of God who's come to take away our sins. And so John the Baptist actually had the privilege of pulling back the veil, you might say, and saying to the people of God, behold your God. Look, he's here. Look at him. See him as your savior. See him as your king. Behold his glory. He is now in the flesh before your eyes. And according to John 129, as I quoted it the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And here's what John had to say. Behold that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the glory of the Lord was actually revealed to humanity at the very first coming of Jesus Christ. But there is coming another day. There is coming a day when the full glory of the Lord will be revealed. When? When Jesus comes a second time in this glory of the Lord is the comfort that God brings to us in the wilderness. And so Isaiah says to us, behold, your God. Behold, your God. Listen, the glory of the Lord is actually God himself becoming visible in his son. Is God bringing to us his very presence down to us in the wilderness when we need him most? So what does all this mean when you find yourself in the wilderness? And perhaps that's where some of you are even now this morning. Notice this in your notes. Here's what we need to know. Here's what we need to embrace in the wilderness. You don't need to leave the wilderness in order to encounter God. And here's why. Because the wilderness, it might just be the very place that God's put you so that you can actually hear his voice and receive his comfort. Now, that is so anti what we normally think as human beings. Because our first response when we find ourselves in difficulty, hardship, in a wilderness of sorts, is to do what? It's to flee the wilderness. So Isaiah says, though, and he says, not leave the wilderness in Babylonian exile so that you can meet God. No, 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 no. Isaiah says, listen, God is coming to meet you. And he's coming to meet you in the wilderness. But you need to prepare the way. And how do you prepare the way of the Lord? Listen, this word prepare, it's an interesting word. It means to clear out. It's kind of like spring cleaning. I I was, Chris and I were here at the church yesterday uh, watching the snow come down, trying to get a little bit of work done. And, I, and so finally I go home, and I walk into the house and in, in our bedroom, and there's my, my wife. She's sitting on the floor, and she's got like all these boxes out under, from under our bed, and she is purging and trying to clear out the clutter under the bed. And, of course, that clutter was, well, it was keepsake stuff of Jack and Tyler, and I told her, just throw all the boxes away. Don't worry about it. And no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I actually said, why are you doing that? Just put it all back in and push it under the bed again. We'll deal with it later. Hide it. Yes, right. And so this word prepare. Listen, it's actually used in Leviticus 14.36 for, for emptying a house of its contents. You say, why? Because here's what we need to understand. God's glory and our clutter 
They don't go together. We've got to prepare the way. And so, in essence, Isaiah is saying to us, the Lord is coming. And he is coming with blessing in his hands for you. So empty your hands, clear away the obstacles, clear away the clutter in your heart to his comfort and receive it in your life. Isaiah is telling us, in other words, that the pathway to receiving the comfort of God is none other than repentance. You want to receive the comfort of God? Then we need to do heart business before God. And we need to clear away the obstacles, the clutter of sometimes and most of the time, the sin in our hearts. And you do that through repentance. Because the clutter of sin and God's glory do not mix. And preparing the way to receive the comfort of God always involves repentance. So don't flee. In fact, the wilderness is often the place where God does his greatest work in our hearts. And so if you're in the wilderness now, don't think, i got to flee it in order to encounter God, in order to receive his comfort. No, you need to stay right there where God has you, and you need to do some preparatory work in your heart. You need to behold your God. And then let him come and meet you where you need him most. So don't flee the wilderness. You don't need to leave the wilderness to encounter God. But you do need to prepare your heart to receive his comfort. Which leads us to point number two. We also need to trust the word of the Lord. Trust the word of the Lord. And I love Isaiah's honesty here in verse 6. It says, a voice says cry. This is the voice of God. But Isaiah, he doesn't even know what to say. So what does he ask God? What shall I cry? And God, what do you want me to say? And God says, tell the people this in verses 6 through 8. That all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, of our God will stand forever. So what's God saying here? We could summarize it this way. We, as humanity, we are simply unreliable. But God's word is infallible. That's, that's the point here. Now, that's not a popular message today. But it's a message we need to hear nonetheless, especially in a culture of Botox, plastic surgery, and hair transplants. Because try as we might to stave off what is so obvious, all flesh is like grass that withers and dies. In other words, we as human beings, we are what? We are mortal. We are dying, and we're all going to die. Yes, we flourish for a brief time. Athletes win their gold medals. Scientists do their research. Young women perfect their beauty. Conquerors build their empires. But human glory all withers and dies in an instant when the breath of the Lord, and it isn't interesting, that's all it takes, blows on it. That's how powerful our God is. By contrast to human glory, which is mortal and unreliable, The glory of God's word will never fade away. Isaiah says it will stand 
forever. And in context, it's actually specifically the word of God to God's people in the wilderness. His promises to redeem them and to save a remnant of those who trust in him. God is a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. You can bank on it. And so Isaiah is telling us that nowhere, though, are we reminded of that truth than in the wilderness. And here's why. Notice this. Here's what happens in the wilderness. And you know this if you've been there for any length of time. We are stripped of our sufficiency in the wilderness, and we are forced into dependency on God. And you can circle that word forced. Because oftentimes, we need to be forced into dependency on God. Because most of the time, we do not go there on our own. In fact, I would argue that this is the very reason for the wilderness. And if you're living there now, this is the reason for it. It's as if we, we throw our hands up in the air in the wilderness and we finally go, we finally, I submit, I tapping out, God, I'm tapping out. And we say, I don't know what else I can do here. I've tried everything I can. I've got nothing left to offer. And God says, ah, oh, perfect. I've got you exactly where I want you now. Now you can hear my voice. Now you can receive my comfort. You see, the wilderness pushes back against our own self-sufficiency and it reminds us that we cannot live the Christian life on our own. Self-sufficiency dies in the wilderness. That's the power of the wilderness. The sufficiency that we think we have in ourselves doesn't work anymore in the wilderness. It falls flat and it forces us to behold our God and to depend on Him and to trust His Word. That's why the wilderness is oftentimes beneficial for us. Which brings us to the great theme now of Isaiah 40. Notice this, number three. Behold the greatness of God in the wilderness. With mounting urgency, Isaiah says now in verse 9, Go on up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, what? Say it with me. Say it again. Listen, this good news of God's comfort is to be spread first throughout Judah and eventually throughout the world. Messengers are told to go up to a high mountain and to lift their voices up with a shout and say, Behold your God. And that is the message that we desperately need to hear in 2020. Why? Because the good news is God himself. There is no other good news. God is the good news. He is the good news of the gospel. He is our comforter in the wilderness. And that's what Isaiah is reminding us here, that the wilderness has the power to transform. Because get this, it is often in the wilderness that we reach out for who? The comforter when nothing else is comfortable in our lives. 
I don't know about you, but there's just something about being human that we won't reach out for the comforter as long as everything is still comfortable in our lives. Instead, we'll settle for the shallow, temporary comfort of this world and the things of this world. But that's when, when it's all stripped away, when that comfort is all stripped away. That's when we finally start to reach out for God, the comforter. And that's when we start to look up instead of looking out or even within for comfort. And so Isaiah writes to us, even today, and especially in this coming new year, he says to us, behold your God. That is the answer. And when we do, don't miss this. What kind of God do we find? What kind of God do we behold? Isaiah tells us here, verses 10 through 11, he says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So who? Who do we find in the wilderness when we behold our God? Here's who we find. We encounter a God of both might and mercy. Woohoo! That is what we need more than anything. Listen, God's mighty arm, Isaiah says, will crush his enemies. And yet that same arm will care for his flock. But I got to be honest with you, those two pictures just don't usually go together especially in our world, and certainly not in the ancient world, where rulers in the ancient world ruled with iron fists. And there was normally a reason for that, because they got killed if you didn't. If you were a weak ruler, you got run over or run through, or maybe even both. But Isaiah says that when our God comes, he comes with what? with both might and mercy. It's as one commentator says, the arm that is raised in triumph is lowered in compassion. And so the two different uses of God's arm displays now the two complementary sides of God's nature. And I think it's when that we are in the wilderness that we actually start to really see both these sides of our God. That he is strong and tender. That he's the ruler and he's the shepherd. And it's in the wilderness that we need him to be both. Listen, when you're living in the wilderness, you need a God who is both might and merciful. Because if he's just strong and not tender, it doesn't do us any good. And if he's just tender and not strong, it doesn't do anybody any good. But when we behold our God, we encounter a God who's both tender and strong. In the wilderness, he comes alongside of us like a gentle shepherd to care for us. And when you're suffering in the wilderness, isn't that what you need? You just want somebody to understand. You want somebody to come and put an arm around you, to speak tenderly to you, to sympathize with you. And that's what God does as our shepherd. 
But he also comes as a mighty ruler to fight for us and to protect us. And so behold your God. Fear not in this new year. Why? Because the Lord comes and he has come. He comes to bring you comfort as your shepherd king. He is the good shepherd who calls to his sheep in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. But folks, listen to me. He is also the king of kings with blazing eyes of fire, who returns on a white horse, leading the armies of heaven to destroy his enemies, again, with the breath of his mouth, according to Revelation 19. So what do we do? We lift up our voice, and we lift it up in hope. We lift it up in joy. Why? For our God, is the sovereign ruler of the universe who brings comfort in the wilderness. Are you in the wilderness this morning? Do you long for comfort of some kind? Then turn, turn, turn to God and cry out for his comfort in Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. Do you realize the comforter became incarnate? And his name is Jesus. In all your wilderness wanderings, God loves to meet you where you are, as you are, in your moment of greatest need. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the reason that it's safe to cry out in the comfort, for comfort in the wilderness. Comfort has a name, and his name is Jesus. Oh, thank you. I'm about ready to die here. I apologize. Listen, let me just conclude in this way. We need to see God for who he is. As he's revealed himself to us in his word and through his son, we need to see God in his word most of all. And so fix your eyes on him and his promises. And if you need help, this is the best time of the year to begin a Bible reading program. I mean, go to the back. Go to our info table. Download version Bible app. We need to behold our God as revealed in the Word of God. So yes, we need to behold our God, but folks, listen to me. We need to believe our God as well. We must put our trust in what God has said in his word and risk everything on the certainty that his word is true and it will stand forever. Because here's the deal. Our struggle, if you're like me, our struggle in the wilderness is often not that we haven't heard God's word or that we don't even know what God's word says. Our struggle is oftentimes we don't really, really, really believe God's word. Or at least we don't always live like we believe it. And so like God's people in Isaiah's day, we are often forgetful and fickle. We know God is sovereign. We know he's working for our good and his glory, even in our tears and trial. We know that he has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And yet in that wilderness, what are we so quick to do? 
to complain, to grow discouraged, and even to blame God. And so we must day by day, listen to me, repent of sin and believe and live in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must keep our souls anchored to the truth of God's word and know that God comforts his people in the wilderness. And so let us as individuals, let us as a church congregation, let us pray that God will help us simply to behold him and to believe him in 2020. Not just in our heads, but in our hearts where it makes a difference in how we get up each morning and face the day, especially when we find ourselves in the wilderness. And let us pray, too, that God would give us a confidence in him, even a passion for him that would compel us to do what? To be messengers for God. To lift up our voices with the good news of God's comfort in Jesus Christ. Listen, we are living in a day and age where people are clamoring and seeking comfort. And we have the answer. And so let us say to those around us, family, friends, coworkers, students that we go to school with, behold our God. And let us make known to them the comfort and hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. That is our mission as we go into 2020. We are to behold our God personally and then let it shout from the rooftops to the world. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Oh, thank you for the comfort of your word here in Isaiah 40. And most of all, thank you for bringing comfort to our lives in Jesus Christ. Help us in this new year to fix our eyes on you and to behold you as our shepherd king. For those who are here and find themselves in the wilderness, Lord, may you grant them grace to simply trust you, to believe your word and know that you have not forsaken them, but that you are the sovereign ruler of the universe who wants to bring comfort in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Listen, I invite you. Next Sunday, we're going to continue in part two of this series. Next Sunday, we are going to behold our God, and we are going to gloriously see the majesty and greatness of God in the middle section of this chapter.